You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Desob here. Excited to be joined by Michael Zaitsev from the New York chapter from 2017. We're going to be talking cannabis today, a topic we haven't hit too much on the Zag. So excited to dig into it with him. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get to it. Michael, before we dig into the work that you're doing, you know, the NLC application window closed uh, last Friday, I think. I was curious what you remember about deciding you wanted to be an NLC fellow. What was your NLC fellow application and experience like? Oh, man, I don't remember all that much (laughs) about it other than I'm constantly applying for stuff like this. You know, whenever I see an opportunity that looks cool and is unusual, I like to take a chance And so for NLC, it was pretty unusual for me because I didn't really have very much experience in civics or government or any of that stuff. I was already an entrepreneur at that time and uh, wanted to get some public sector knowledge and experience. So I applied and was fortunate enough to be accepted. And, you know, it was exciting to get your email when I put out the calls for looking for our next batch of guests because you just kind of wrote back with one sentence. I'd love to talk about cannabis stuff. I, there's obviously a lot that probably goes into that that phrase of cannabis stuff. Where do you want to start? Are you actively working on the entrepreneurial side? Are you working on um, the, the kind of justice side of things? How would you describe your engagement with that uh, current industry? Yeah, Um So I do a number of things. I would say most of it is focused around education, awareness, and community building. So to give some context, uh, for about seven years now, I've been organizing and producing cannabis education and networking events and bringing people together to learn from experts in in the cannabis ecosystem from all aspects of it, from business to policy to medical research and everything in between. And so uh, I've been fortunate enough to have some events going again since things are a little more normal in New York City these days. And aside from that, I do a bunch of coaching and advisory work for entrepreneurs and companies. Uh, I've written a book called The Cannabis Business Book. And in fact, I also have a podcast called the the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I interview and coach uh, different industry executives, investors, and leaders. Well, so I was curious, uh, living out here in California and and Los Angeles, as long as I have, you know, we have moved in the direction of legalizing cannabis and Mm -hmm. an industry has grown up. But I think since voters voted to approve it, and then what actually transpired in the actual market itself has been... Uh, not necessarily what people think I'd hoped for. There's still a pretty thriving black market. There's a lot of uh, environmental concerns. You know, what what things do you see happen between, say, when a state would approve uh, this industry becoming more legal and more in the mainstream to what actually happens, say, 18 months out, 24 months out? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's a tricky question. And part of the reason why I do what I do is to encourage people to go beyond the headlines You know, it's easy to see where a state legalizes. Let's take New York, for example, where Mm -hmm. earlier this year they approved adult use legalization, which will be implemented next year or if if they get delayed, potentially the following year. And it's easy to look at the headlines and think, oh, great, now it's legal. Things are going to be much better, less arrests. And, And to their credit, New York City used to be the 
cannabis or marijuana arrest capital of the world. And this year, I think there was less than like 20 or 30 possession or low level arrests. So incredible, incredible progress, which is, you know, honestly, I wasn't expecting that because in some other states, they passed the laws and then they just kept arresting people. <laughs> um, so often, you know, to answer your question, often um, things change dramatically from when the laws pass to when it's implemented. And then even when it's implemented, and in the case of New York, again, uh, you know, I think two years after it's implemented, they're going to review everything and potentially change it. And so we've seen in California where, you know, the same thing every couple of years, the regulations seem to change pretty significantly. So it's really tricky. And it's really an industry where you have to be paying attention to policy and compliance and, and regulations much more than a lot of other industries. Yeah. We come back with Michael. We'll talk more about this issue and also how progressives can engage with it. Thanks so much for tuning in this episode of the Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, Michael, you mentioned looking beyond the headlines. I think one of the the headline pieces that people tend to to focus on has been maybe the uneven or hypocritical way that folks who have entered the cannabis industry from business side tend to be. Uh, at least according to the headlines, wider or more affluent. And, you know, there's, I think, some even well-known politicians who've gotten that game who spent a whole political career uh, trying to uh, criminalize that type of activity. You know, what ways are you seeing the entrepreneurs who are entering this industry being supported who who are of color or maybe have experience being incarcerated for uh, cannabis in, in the past? What kind of things are deeper than maybe a headline we'd see on a website or in a newspaper? Yeah, excellent question. And I'd say this is one of the greatest challenges across the board in the industry, not like in every state where there's a huge emphasis put on social equity and they even make certain license types or, or carve outs in the policy to help what are called social equity candidates, which are usually people of color or those who are disproportionately harmed by prohibition or or people who have a criminal record for cannabis commerce. And again, it's one of these things a lot of politicians and regulators will grandstand about, but then they'll actually pass a policy that doesn't do nearly enough and doesn't actually empower uh, these people to succeed in the long term against some of these more traditional corporate uh, players who, who are coming in with very deep pockets and, and a lot more resources. So it's very tricky because you have states that are, you know, helping you get a license, but then not necessarily providing the capital or support to actually succeed in this mm-hmm. highly competitive industry. And if you had to give advice for any of the NLC alumni community on if they wanted to support this industry or even be involved in this industry? I'm sure you're asked a lot about how folks can get started if they want to go this route. What kind of things do you usually tell folks to do? Well, of course, I self-servingly have to recommend (laughs) my book, The Cannabis Business Book, which is available on Amazon. Um, But I I think one of my biggest messages is that this is something that everyone should care about. Even if you're not a cannabis consumer or have no connection to the plant, this is an intersectional inter 
international and institutional issue that touches public health, commerce, uh, social justice, environmental sustainability, so many different aspects. So I would say find something that you care about and then see how it's related to the cannabis movement and find a way to contribute and get involved. There's a huge need for justice oriented people to, to be involved in this industry because, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to shift an illicit multi-billion dollar market above ground and above board and to capture tax revenue and to really make a big difference. And so I, I really encourage people to pay attention to it and, and not to, you know, laugh it off as a, a Cheech and Chong thing <laughs> where people want to get high. Well, no, in fact, this is going to impact everyone. And the more people who are paying attention to it, the, in my opinion, the higher the likelihood that we get things right. Hey, last thing, we have guests on the Zag sometimes who are published authors like yourself. I'm always curious how that publishing experience was. Did you uh, have good success landing with a independent publisher or did you go the self-publishing route? I know a lot of NLC alums are considering writing books or, or on things that they care about. How did the experience go for you? Yeah, so I self-published and I found that to be a more productive path for myself for a number of reasons. One, I, I thought I could make more money that way. And more importantly, I thought I could get my product to market much mm -hmm. quicker without having to go through all of the bureaucracy and, and hoops of working with a publisher. Interesting. Good stuff. Wilson, thank you so much for coming on. We'll make sure to bump a lot of the resources and the podcast link and the book link in the info section of this episode. So make sure to check that out and support Michael's work and check out and support all the great guests that have been on the Zag lately. You can find all of those episodes. They're short and sweet, about 10 minutes or so. All the places you get your podcasts, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, they're all there. Check them out. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.